Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When a musician dies, there's a light that goes out in fans. It's not like we knew this person, you know, personally, but it might feel that we did. That's because the art they created expressed feelings and concepts and thoughts that we could not articulate ourselves. It's through their music that we are able to learn more about ourselves. And that's why we need artists. And we often don't realize how deeply their music affected us and in what ways it has worked into our lives and psyches until that person is gone. We saw it when Bowie died. It happened when Prince left us. Same thing with Chris Cornell and Gord Downey and any other musician you want to mention. And it happened again when Chester Bennington died. Linkin Park sold tens of millions of records, many on the strength of Chester's abilities to express how he felt, feelings that resonated with so many others. And now that he's gone, we're looking at how he did that on his own with Linkin Park and with some of his side projects. This is Remembering Chester Bennington, Part 2. This is the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. Linkin Park and Faint, the second single from Meteora, the second album, released in the spring of 2003. Hello again, I'm Ellen Cross, and the story of Chester Bennington and Linkin Park goes pretty deep, so this look back at his life and career has spilled over into a second program. The first part covered Chester's early life, his first bands, his joining up with Linkin Park and the group's first album, and now we're picking things up in 2003. For an album that their record company absolutely hated, Hybrid Theory was on its way to selling 30 million copies around the world. Could they pull it off with a difficult second album? Um, yeah. Despite being on the road almost constantly, which involved the band dodging in and out of the studio for a year, Meteora was as big a hit as Hybrid Theory. Things were going so well for Linkin Park that they were able to demo at least 80 different songs for album number two. Now remember, that's on the road and in between shows over a period of about eight months. That's an insane level of productivity. And let's not forget that reanimation remix album that was dropped in there too. This is one of the tightest and most disciplined collections of songs you'll find on an album anywhere. 13 tracks over in less than 37 minutes. And even though the whole new metal thing was largely over, Linkin Park didn't care. But then again, no one from that whole genre sounded as accessible as them. 
Let's just go ahead and say it. Lincoln Park was super radio friendly. Somewhere I Belong was the first single. That was March 17, 2003. Faint, the song we just heard, was released in June. Then came the third single. Numb is one of those classic Lincoln Park songs where, as Chester put it, we sing about emotions, not situations. That's it then. Linkin Park and Numb from Meteora. That first album has recorded worldwide sales of 30 million, and at last count, Meteora is at 27 million. And remember, both those albums came out when illegal file sharing was at an all-time peak. We had Napster and LimeWire and Kazaa, and sure, the band lost sales to piracy, but for God's sake, 57 million in sales from just two albums? But damn, these guys worked hard. Linkin Park was on the road so much during those first couple of years that it was decided that they might as well record a live album and DVD. So for Christmas 2003, they had Meteora and a live record in stores. Arrangements were made for Reliant Stadium in Houston on August the 2nd of 2003. And something was at retail by November 18th. The music and the video are a little confusing, so let me see if I can sort this out. All the video we see was shot in Houston and the next night in Dallas. The audio, though, is just from Houston. This is why there are subtle changes in appearances by the band members. Mike's shirt may be slightly different from shot to shot. Brad and Dave seem to change guitars several times right in the middle of a song. And Chester is sweaty in one shot and then completely dry in the other. But hey, who, who needs continuity when a quickie live album immediately goes platinum? When Linkin Park took off, the next four years were insane. They were always on the road. And when they weren't on the road, they were writing. And when they weren't writing, they were recording. You can't keep up this kind of pace without there being some kind of toll on your mind, your health, and your personal life. And as we heard on part one, Chester's life had already been complicated enough. His first partner was a woman named Elka Brandt. They had a child in 1996 named Jamie. When they split, Chester married Samantha Olet, and they had a child named Draven. But then things got rocky and they divorced. Then there were the stomach pains. In May 2003, Chester was hospitalized with something. Doctors thought it might be some kind of viral infection. Maybe it was the result of another spider bite. Chester had ended up with a nasty infection from a bite he somehow got in Boston in 2001. But it turned out to be some serious gastrointestinal issues that really got bad during the filming of the Numb video in Europe a few weeks later. He was throwing up almost constantly. Chester never lip-synced when filming music videos, so he was going all out again and again. He had to fly back to the States for surgery on a hiatal hernia, a condition that can lead to extreme pain, heartburn, and lots of vomiting. And it can be especially bad for someone who uh, screams for a living. And the loose stomach acid can be a very serious problem. It can cause infections and in some cases lead to things like esophageal cancer. So you best get that fixed. So when the touring cycle for Meteora ended, the band demanded some downtime, and they got it. I mean, what else could have anyone asked for from these guys? Besides, it would be good to rest and then maybe pursue some other projects to restore the creative juices. 
Everybody scattered to do their own thing, regrouping every once in a while for a charity event, a festival, or to do something like a mashup album with Jay-Z called Collision Course. Chester contributed to a side project by DJ Lethal, Limp Biscuits DJ, and his own side project, which was first called Snow White Tan, notice the reference to Bowie and Ziggy Stardust, and then Dead by Sunrise. The group began because Chester had written some songs that really weren't right for Linkin Park, so rather than throw them out, he created this new group featuring some friends from bands called Julian Kay and Orgy. A Dead by Sunrise album would eventually come out in 2009, but this is one of the earlier songs they wrote. It's called The Morning After. Chester Bennington with Dead by Sunrise in a song called The Morning After. Definitely not Linkin Park material, uh, but certainly very Chester. Linkin Park spent about 18 months working on their third album, this time with producer Rick Rubin. There were a couple of delays. The original release date was in mid-2006, but because they were such a very successful band, they could get away with delaying it. Finally, Minutes to Midnight came out on May 14, 2007, debuting at number one in 16 countries, and it would eventually sell somewhere around 20 million copies. Now, this record is a bit different in sound. Linkin Park made a conscious decision to move away from pure new metal into a different sort of headspace. Mike Shinoda raps in only two of the 12 songs, but he makes up for that by singing lead on three others. Let me offer you this. It's Linkin Park live at Edgefest at Downsview Park in Toronto on July 12, 2008. Nothing like this appears on the first albums. That Shadow of the Day, live in Toronto, July 12, 2008. That was the third single from Minutes to Midnight, the third Linkin Park album. When we come back, we'll look at a couple of offstage issues that both brightened Chester's life and a few that brought some serious darkness. Hold on. You're listening to the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. Chester Bennington's personal life was always sort of tumultuous. After the strain of touring with Linkin Park broke up his first marriage, he later met and married Talinda Ann Bentley, who was a former Playboy model turned schoolteacher, and that relationship held together for the rest of Chester's life. They had three kids together, a boy and twin girls, adding to an extended family that included Jamie, the son that he had with partner Elka Brand, adopted Isaiah, Brand's other son after a weird custody battle, and Draven, the son he had with his first wife, Samantha. So that's six kids in a real Brady Bunch kind of situation. While the operation for his hiatal hernia seemed to fix those problems, Chester, well, he was rather accident-prone. In 2007, he broke a wrist during a show in Melbourne. In 2011, he got sick while touring in Asia, which affected five Linkin Park shows. And then he injured his shoulder, which required immediate surgery. And then in 2015, he messed up his ankle playing basketball, which needed surgery too, and more shows had to be cancelled. But the worst period was when he and Talinda were cyber-stalked. One morning in 2006, they suddenly lost control of their cell phones, their email accounts, and their PayPal account. They were getting these weird emails from an unknown Yahoo address. Phone calls started coming in the middle of the night, maybe a half dozen in half an hour. Nothing on the other end but silence. Until that one night when Talinda answered Chester's cell phone and a woman said, I'm watching you. <laughs> 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At the same time, Talinda was getting messages from her friends about weird message she supposedly sent them, which she didn't. Members of Lincoln Park's team started getting calls from a woman pretending to be Chester's first wife. Talinda was locked out of her eBay account because someone had changed the password. PayPal called, saying that someone was messing with that account. And then Chester's cell phone account was hacked. No matter how many times he changed his password, it would get changed by someone to something else. One of the times he logged in to fix things, someone had written a question in the spot where the password should go. It read, Who is doing this to you? All right, enough is enough. A former Secret Service computer forensics person was hired to get to the bottom of this. He was able to trace the source of the emails to a strange place. Sandia National Laboratories in Los Alamos, New Mexico. This is a super-secure nuclear weapons research facility. If the emails were coming from there, it wasn't just somebody stalking a rock star. This was a matter of national security. Digging deeper, the forensic guy discovered that the messages to the Benningtons were coming from Sandia during the day and a home in nearby Albuquerque at night. Meanwhile, Chester hired security, installed motion sensors, some cameras, and bought a guard dog. In the end, everything was traced to a woman named Devin Townsend, a 27-year-old single mother living with her mom in Albuquerque. She worked at Sandia, where she had access to not only all sorts of computer resources, but atomic and nuclear materials. The forensic guy also found out that Devin's mom also worked at Sandia, in the security department, no less. Eventually, though, Townsend was caught and confessed. She explained that it all started when she saw Chester's email address accidentally included in a mass email for a place called Club Tattoo, a tattoo parlor in Phoenix that Chester supported. Getting into his email account was as easy as guessing that it might be Chester's middle name. And it was. You enter Charlie, boom, you're in. Townsend pleaded guilty in June of 2007. In February 2008, she was sent to jail for two years. This could have been a whole lot worse. Bank accounts could have been pillaged identities stolen. What I've Done, another single from Minutes to Midnight, an album that would go on to sell more than 20 million copies worldwide. There was a massive world tour for that record, almost a hundred shows over four continents in 2007 and 2008. Also tucked in there was the Project Revolution Tour, which was a mobile two-stage festival that traveled to 29 cities and also featured bands like My Chemical Romance, Taking Back Sunday, and Placebo. What was cool about that one is that Linkin Park sold blank CDs for $11 at their merch booths. Each came with a download code that allowed any fan to download and burn that particular Lincoln Park show for their personal use. Cool idea.
Bleed It Out from the Minutes to Midnight Tour. Back with more on Lincoln Park and Chester Bennington in just a second. Now, back to the ongoing history of new music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. This is part two of a three-parter in Chester Bennington and Lincoln Park. We're up to the end of 2008. The band has just finished the Minutes to Midnight tour, and we're ready to start work on their fourth studio album. But they were also ready to try something different. They were hired to work on the soundtrack of a Transformers movie, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, in case you're following along, which resulted in a single called New Divide. Now this turned out to be one of the biggest single hits in the Linkin Park catalog. It even made it all the way to number six on the mainstream top 40 charts. So New Divide, a massive worldwide hit from a Transformers movie. In April 2009, they released an iOS app called 8-Bit Rebellion, which was a video game featuring band members as characters. There was a song called Blackbirds you could only get by beating the game. And since we're trying to be complete about things, let's have a listen to that one. That's Blackbirds, a Linkin Park song that used to be only available to people who beat their iOS video game. By the end of 2009, Chester had become good friends with Chris Cornell. Best friends, actually. But little did anyone know that these buddies would both meet their end within weeks of each other. I'll look ahead to the final chapter in the Chester Bennington story in just a second. More of the ongoing history of new music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. By the end of 2009, and over just three studio albums, Linkin Park was on its way to selling 80 million albums, making them the most successful new rock band to emerge in the 21st century. And things were good for Chester, too. Yeah, he was a little accident-prone and had his health problems, but as far as anyone knew, all his drug and alcohol problems were behind him. But the truth was that he had relapsed in 2006, requiring a trip to rehab. He was also suffering from depression, a condition that's not always apparent to people on the outside. But it's not like he kept this a secret. Like almost everything in his life, he wore those emotional issues on his sleeve and was keen to talk about it. He talked about depression, substance abuse, being sexually molested as a kid. His thinking was that if he could talk about it, well, maybe that would encourage others to do the same thing, maybe get some help. Here's a quote from a radio interview in early 2017. I don't know if anybody out there can relate, but I have a hard time with life. Sometimes. Sometimes it's great, but a lot of times for me, it's really hard. And no matter how I'm feeling, I always find myself struggling with certain patterns of behavior. I find myself stuck in the same thing that keeps repeating over and over again. And I'm just like, how did I end up? How am I in this situation? And it's that moment where you're in it, and then you can separate yourself from that situation And you look at it, and you see it for what it is, and you're able to then do something about it. You've now broken out of that circle, that cycle. I know for me, when I'm inside myself, when I'm in my own head, it gets, that is a bad neighborhood, and I should not be in there alone. I can't be in there by myself. It's insane. It's crazy in here. This is a bad place for me to be by myself, 
And so when I'm in that, my whole life gets thrown off. If I'm in there, I don't say nice things to myself. There's another Chester in there that wants to take me down. And I find that it could be, whether it's substance abuses or whether it's the behavior or whether it's depressive stuff or whatever it is, if I'm not actively doing, getting out of myself and being with other people, like being a dad, being a husband, being a bandmate, being a friend, helping someone out, if I'm out of myself, it's great. If I'm inside all the time, I'm horrible. I'm a mess. And so for me, that was kind of where the I don't like my mind right now, stacking up problems that are so unnecessary. That's where that line came from. I drive myself nuts actually thinking about all the stuff that's going on in my head is actually just, I'm doing this to myself, regardless of whatever that thing is. So this is that conscious awareness of that thing. When you can step back and look at something, you're actually elevating yourself consciously. You're enlightened at that point to a certain degree. And so this is that moment of enlightenment where you go, I could do something about this. And by doing it, I can move forward and get unstuck from this. And I can actually, well, for me, I can live with life on life's terms. I can experience the whole spectrum of humanity and not want to get out of it, whether it's happiness, sadness, or whatever. When I'm in it, I just want to get out of however I'm feeling, no matter what it is. A few months after that interview, Chester would be gone, taking his own life. We'll go through the final chapter of the story next time. Meanwhile, if there's anything else I can help you with, my email is alan at alancross.ca. You can find me at my website, which is a ajournalofmusicalthings.com, and I'm also available through Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Google+. And yes, these programs are available as podcasts. Just look up Ongoing History on iTunes, and you'll find them. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music, the podcast edition with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast at iTunes and through Google Play.